It's been a morning rich with blessings already, and before I read the Scripture, I'd like to invite us to a time of meditation and silence, to be still in God's presence, to form your own prayer of confession or intercession, or just to be silent in God's presence, and then I'll lead us in prayer. How good it is, dear God, to simply be in Your presence, to soak up the blessings of belonging to You. We pray today that You will cleanse our hearts and open our ears that we may hear and receive what You have for us. We pray that You'll deal with our stubborn wills and our pride and all that brokenness within us. We pray that you would touch the lives and the bodies of those in our congregation who are hurting through illness, through grief, through financial stress, through all kinds of heartache. We remember today to pray for our team traveling to Kenya, that you will grant them safety, a peace to trust you, and health, and that you would bless the partnership work that happens there as we both receive and give blessings by sharing with sisters and brothers in Kenya. We pray for the upcoming youth trip to Colorado, that you might also bless them with rich blessings and and safe travel and, and good ministry. We invite you to bless all of those in the military service today, God, those who are defending our freedoms. Keep them safe and bless their families. Bless, we pray, All that we would attempt to be and do for you this morning, we wait in your presence and thank you in advance for all that you'll give us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite your attention to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 28 and following. I think it's page 942 if you're using Pew Bibles. It will be on the screen, but uh, you might want to refer to it later in the service. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 26. And I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud, as God's Word comes among us, and as you listen prayerfully. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he, Jesus, stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there were on the hillside a large herd of swine feeding. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord, may he bless it. You may be seated. Several years ago, there was a TV drama entitled Saint Elsewhere. Uh, I don't know if you remember it, but it was a show about a, a, a hospital drama set in uh, the gritty part of the Boston neighborhood. It was a, a very much an urban scene. And, and in this series, all kinds of weird things would happen in emergency rooms and in operating rooms and between and among doctors and nurses and people of the city. And it was, it was very, very cutting edge for the time. And I remember sitting in our home watching one episode and a person, a guest in our home was watching with me and this person said, that is the silliest, silliest show Why do they make up all those things that those people do in those emergency rooms? And I quickly said, they're not making that stuff up. I remember saying, just spend one night with me in the emergency room during a full moon and and be amazed at how real life is stranger than fiction. And the truth is, we just don't get out of our own bubble very much to experience that kind of of weird and fragmented and threatening life. We live in this safe little membrane of not just the church building, but our own safe world. And and we don't get out of the bubble much to see the kind of danger and chaos that's out there. I remember the first time I ever heard this passage of Scripture preached on. I was a boy of about 13 or 14 in our little Maple Grove Baptist Church. You've heard me speak of it, our little country church where I was raised. It was fifth Sunday meeting. Now, back in our part of the world, fifth Sunday meeting meant every time there was a fifth Sunday, which is once a quarter, you have an associational gathering of all the sister Baptist churches in the area. In our case, there were eight. And we get together for dinner on the grounds Sunday noon at one of the churches. And then you'd have a brief business meeting that was really boring for a child. And then you'd have an afternoon worship service. And on this particular Sunday... Uh, a student from Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar was bringing the message and he preached on this Luke 8 scripture. And I remember thinking as a young man, that is the strangest story in all of the Bible. A man sitting naked in a cemetery, possessed with demons, shouting at Jesus. Jesus deals with him The demons go out of him, go into a bunch of pigs. The pigs run over a cliff and die. And all of the people, all the farmers of the area, ask Jesus to leave because he's cut into their profit. Strange story. Strange, isn't it? And I bet you think I'm going to solve everything this morning. Not. It's just strange. But it's a reminder that we all live in our safe little bubbles and we don't know the chaos and the evil and the craziness that's out there sometimes. But it's there. 
Jesus not only taught us to live outside the bubble, to get outside of our safety zones, Jesus modeled that. He rubbed up against real life. And you can see that by looking at a map. I want to show you something on the screen. Uh, this is a map of the Holy Land. Uh, and over on the west side, you see Israel. And up at the top, uh, you see the Sea of Galilee. Well, just southeast, almost like 5 o'clock on a clock, you see south, southeast of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, a city called Jerash. That, scholars believe, is the ancient city of Gerasa, the Gerasenes that are described in the 8th chapter of Luke. And I want you to notice that Jerash, or Gerasa, is east of the Jordan River. It is not in the Holy Land proper. It is in Jordan modern-day Jordan. It is in what's called in Bible days Transjordan. That's why Luke says Jesus went opposite Galilee. He meant He crossed the river and went east out of the Holy Land. As far as we know, this is the only time in the four Gospels that Jesus ever set foot outside of Palestine, outside of that region that is known as, as Israel in His day. Jesus got out of His bubble. Uh, I like what one Bible commentator says. He says, there's nothing kosher about this whole story. He said, you've got pigs. You've got a demon-possessed man ceremonially unclean. You've got him living in a cemetery. Uh, dead bodies were considered ceremonially unclean. You've got Jesus ministering in Gentile land, which is ceremonially unclean. It's not the holy land. Nothing about this Scripture story is kosher. It's Jesus outside of His bubble showing that His power can work anywhere. Showing that Jesus is Lord everywhere. Showing that no matter what's wrong with us, Jesus can make it in the real world of pain and fragmentation and hurting and heartache. Jesus can make it outside the bubble and He can make it for us too. Well, let's think a little bit more about this afflicted man and what we know about him. He's naked. He's homeless. What was that Jesus said in Matthew 25? I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Jesus practiced what he preached. This man's naked. He's homeless. But there's more than that. The people are so afraid of him that they tie him up with chains and they guard him. But he breaks the chains. He's, he's absolutely wild with with pain and, and he breaks the chain and he, and he runs around and he's terrifying others and himself. And, and when he does that, Scripture says, a demon will drive him into the wild. That's what the New Revised Standard Version that I read from says. The demon would drive him into the wild. I like the contemporary English version and it goes like this. The demon would force him into lonely places. What a picture of what sin does to us. What a picture of what disease and illness do to us. They force us into lonely places. They force us into isolation. They force us into, into uh, being away from others. They f the demon forced him into lonely places. Loneliness is a terrible, terrible thing. The artist Alice Neal once spoke about her own paintings 
And she said, the portraits that I paint uh, try to strike a pose. And she says, I want to show in their faces, listen to this, what the world has done to them and what they plan to do back in retaliation. And I thought of this poor man that on his face, on his weathered, beaten, tired face, you could no doubt see what the world has done to him, treating him like an object, locking him up, and what he would like to do back to the world in retaliation as he breaks the chains and runs wild. Loneliness is not just about the absence of people. You know, you can be lonely in church. You can be lonely in a marriage. You can be lonely on a campus with hundreds of people. Loneliness is about the absence of meaningful connection. That's what loneliness is about. I once pastored in St. Joseph, Missouri, and uh, if you've not ever been to the Pony Express Museum, you need to go there because the Pony Express in the in 1860 started from St. Joseph, Missouri, and young men on horses would, would run their routes, would take a leg of the journey all the way to Sacramento, California, carrying the mail. And uh, in that museum there are signs where they advertise for young men who didn't weigh too much to ride on these really fast horses to take the Pony Express mail. And on one of the ads, as they make as they make an appeal for young men to sign up to be Pony Express riders, at the bottom it says, Orphans Preferred. Orphans Preferred. The implication being that if you die, it won't matter to anybody. Loneliness. Isolation. And then Jesus asks him a question. You can learn a lot in the Gospels by paying attention to Jesus' questions. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man replies, Legion. Excuse me? Legion. I am 5,000 Roman soldiers. Parenthetically, that lets you know what the Gospel writers thought of the Roman occupation. It's evil. It's cruel and it's destructive. But the man said, I am 5,000 Roman soldiers, or as the message translates that, my name is Mob, M-O-B. I'm a mob. I'm a riot of people and and brokenness and shards of of shattered life and, and all of that put together. But I want you to go back to the question. Why would Jesus ask that? Jesus was trying to say to this man, you are more than your disease. There's more to you than your sickness. There's more to you than this evil that is possessing you. I want to know you. You were somebody before these demons took over. You were somebody before you were sick and fragmented. You were somebody before you got captured by this pain. And I want to know who that is. I want to get past all the junk and all the sin and all the mess. And I want to know you. Tell me your name. See, Jesus saw, He always sees, what the world does to us. Turning people into things. And Jesus comes into the world to turn people who've been turned into things back into people again. And He wants to know our name. We have a team, as I mentioned earlier in worship today, on their way to Kenya, the continent of Africa today. Several years ago, American missionaries 
told the story of ministry in Kenya. They discovered a, a, a family uh, of Kenyans with a little girl, and her name was No Name. Her name was No Name. And they discovered upon inquiry that No Name had had six siblings born before her, and they had all died either in childbirth or in infancy. And her parents decided they wanted to fool the gods so they would not name their little girl until she was older and hopefully she would be strong enough to live. So they simply called her No Name. No Name had a facial tumor. Tests showed that it was not cancerous, but it was disfiguring her face. American missionary named Phyllis operated on No Name. The surgery was successful. Her little beauty was being restored. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ. And she was finally given a name. And guess what name she chose? Phyllis, the name of the surgeon who had operated so that she might have beauty and life again. She had a name and she had a life. Jesus healed this man. Scripture says when he was healed, he was at the feet of Jesus, the position of a disciple, of a learner. He was well. He was in his right mind. He was whole. The fragmented pieces now had come together. But the demons had gone out into the pigs. The pigs had gone over the cliff. And the people were upset that their financial profit was gone. And they were terrified. They came and asked Jesus to leave. Luke loves to do these contrasts. Remember we talked about that? Luke loves to do the flips. Well, look at this flip. At the beginning of the story, the demon-possessed man wants Jesus to go away. And the townspeople and the farmers, we assume, were respectable and they were welcoming Jesus. Now the story's flipped. The man who'd been demon-possessed wants Jesus to stay. And the townspeople want him to go. The farmers want him to go. Why did they want him to leave? Obviously, he was cutting into their economic stability. But Scripture says twice they were afraid. We uh, went to see the movie Man of Steel this week. Uh, it's a pretty good movie. A little gratuitous with the violence and the fighting. They could have done with a little less of that. That's my movie review for the morning. Uh, but there was, some, there was a good story to it and some good lines. And, and in one place, Superman says, people are afraid of what they don't understand. Right? And then in another place, he says, people fear what they can't control. Right? They couldn't control the demon-possessed man, so they tried to chain him up, put a guard with him. They couldn't control Jesus. This, this Son of God's doing all kinds of things and we can't bottle that. We can't box it up. We can't contain it. And we fear that which we cannot control. They were afraid to get outside their bubbles. Let me suggest some practical things that we can do, that you can do, that would get you outside your bubble. 
into the real world of pain and struggle, that would get you east of the River Jordan into that scary land where real life happens. You could uh, go on a mission trip to Kenya and get stranded in an airport. You learn a lot about trust. You could sign up to be a mentor at South Elementary School this fall. You could volunteer to work at the Pregnancy Help Center. You could go visit a children's hospital or a nursing home. You could volunteer at a Boys and Girls Club, Rape and Abuse Crisis Center. You could drive through a blighted neighborhood in Jefferson City rather than driving where you always drive. You could get to know someone who's living below the federal poverty line and ask that person to show you her monthly budget and see what she lives on. You could sit down and have a conversation with a youth about the real temptations that he or she faces every day at school. You could talk to someone who's just returned from war in Iraq or Afghanistan. You could go visit a Holocaust museum. You could sit down with a group of 20-somethings and ask them what they really think about church. You could develop a friendship with somebody who's angry at God. You could develop a friendship with somebody who's far away from God. There are so many ways if we have the courage to step outside our bubbles into the real world of pain. And then there is, I talked about contrast, contrasting these people who want Jesus to leave, who refuse to get out of their bubble. There is this delightful man who's healed. He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, you stay here and you just share with people in your own home, in your own hometown, everything God's done for you. See, sharing Christ is not difficult. Sharing Christ doesn't mean you have to memorize the Bible. Sharing Christ doesn't mean you have to know what the book of Revelation means. Sharing Christ simply means that you do what we talked about in vacation Bible camp this week. You keep your eyes open for God sightings. You keep your eyes open for where God is working in your world and then you simply report on it. This is where I see God working in my life. That's what it means to share your faith. And this man offers us a simple three-step plan and I offer it to you. And here it is. A, something in my life has changed. B, it's because of Jesus. C, I invite you to let it happen to you as well. Isn't that simple? Something has changed in my life. It's changed because of Jesus. I invite you to let it happen to you as well. This is the Gospel. Let's pray.